hey, Kairos. Man, it's so good to see you. My name's Danny. I'm a pastor here. I'm so glad that we get to hang out. I'm glad that you are here in this space. I'm glad that our friends are joining us in Iowa City. Would you say hi, Iowa City, on the count of three? One, two, three. You're always so good at that. Iowa City, we love you so much. And, and uh, I tell you what, if we can't see each other here, one day we'll see each other in heaven because Lord knows on this side of, of heaven's gates, I don't know how well we get along. But that was so pointless to say that. <laughs> We're starting a new series tonight. Uh, it's called Getting Through What You're Going Through. Turn to the person next to you and say, We're going to make it. Some of you say that enthusiastically, but most of you just said that, we're going to make it. I don't believe it, but I'm being forced to say it. Oh, man, it can be tough. Uh, when we were trying to think of what we wanted to do for the opening video for that, it was inspired because it was raining really hard a couple of days ago, and there was somebody walking past the link, which is where we had Kairos last week, and we could see them through our big windows. And as it's raining, pouring, this one woman's just walking by, and it's just not phasing her. And not only is it not phasing her, she seems to be enjoying it, and she's actually walking by us through the rain going, and she's literally, you ever heard that song, Dancing in the Rain? She's, or maybe singing in the rain. But she's doing it, right? And nothing was going to stop her. She was going to make it through. And sometimes it's inspiring to see somebody else make it through. But I want to tell you this. You have the capability to make it through what you're going through because God loves you. And because God's going to go through it with you. I had this, uh, this spin instructor, a spin class instructor, when I was in seminary in the Twin Cities. I worked at LA Fitness. Um, I was the uh, front desk boy. I took a lot of abuse because there were people who worked out there who were much bigger, much stronger than me, and they wondered, what are you doing here? You know? And one of them was the spin instructor. Her name was Deb, and she said, you got to take my class. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. And she's like, no, really, you got to do it. I'm like, well, I don't know. Maybe it won't kill me. And she's like, no, really, I'll kill you if you come and take it. It's going to be hard. I'm like, I don't, Deb, that's the worst advertisement I've ever heard for this. And she always said something, though, when we were in it. Because as I was spinning in that class, if you don't know what spin class, it's when you hop on those bikes, everybody's wearing spandex and you feel awkward. But um, she had this phrase that she would always say when it got really, really hard. She would say, the only way is through. Turn to the person next to you and say, the only way is through. Man, that's not fun, is it? Sometimes we'd rather go around town. Sometimes we'd rather go way out of our way to go up and above something so we wouldn't have to go through it. What do you do when life throws you something unexpected? And you're like, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. Anybody here going through something in there? You don't, don't actually lift up your hands. But anybody in here going through something right now where you're like, I don't know if I'm going to make it through this. Sometimes it's really big stuff. Sometimes it's smaller things. Sometimes it's something like an exam. Sometimes it's something like a life-altering experience. Some sort of news that you heard. Some sort of loss that you endured or experienced. What do you do when life throws something so unexpected at you like that? That's the purpose of this series. We're going to talk about how we can walk with God through the unexpected, unpleasant, and difficult things in life. I saw a video this week that reminded me that life sometimes throws us really unpleasant things. Uh, it goes like this. If you want to go ahead and throw that on the board. If you've ever been on a ride, you know this is scary in and of itself. I know. And as I watch her, I say, those who trust in the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. Not exactly what the Bible was talking about, right? 
My first date with my wife, we went on one of these and I was screaming. I cannot imagine if I had a bird fly into my face. They have those talons and birds, they just, you know, they just, ah. They move so jittery and quick and fast and creepy. I'm not scared of snakes, I'm scared of birds. Okay, I'm scared of snakes too, but birds freak me out. Whew. Sometimes life feels like that. In a less funny way, right? Things come at you, and you weren't expecting them, and they're difficult. And you can try to go around it, you can try to go over it, you can try to go under it, you can sometimes try to back the other way, but the truth is, the only way is through it. In the Bible reading, you heard this night in Psalm chapter 46, and this inspires me, it's where I want to get, right? This is what I want to be like. God is our refuge and strength. We will not fear when earthquakes come and the mountains crumble into the sea. Let the oceans roar and foam. Let the mountains tremble as the waters surge. Come on, bring it on, storm, the author says. How are you feeling about that? In this series, we're going to talk about all sorts of different things that we have to go through in life. And again, God promises, as it says in the scripture here, he promises, I'm your refuge and I'm your strength. I will be with you every single step of the way. Next week, we're going to talk about those long, lingering things that never seem to go away. Maybe that's a mental illness. Maybe that's a state that you're just unable to shake. Maybe it's something you haven't been able to figure out, but it's that long suffering that we go through. Tonight, I want to talk about the things that show up in your face. And you can't help but react in some way, right? Whether that's voluntary or involuntary. We're talking about a crisis tonight. Tonight, we're talking about getting through crisis. Turn to the person next to you and say, crisis. 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 We're going through crisis. People go through crisis. It's something that we deal with. If you look up crisis in the dictionary, you'll see something that causes you immense pain, stress. It's an event, something that you respond to. It comes entirely unexpectedly. These are the things that you don't see coming. It's the breakup. It's a diagnosis for a family member or a friend or sometimes yourself. It's life-altering news. You're shocked. It's a crisis. And what do you do in those moments of crisis? God promises to be with you in those. And I think that there's something really cool. When we actually observe the way that our body responds to crisis, I think that we see God at work in our physical bodies. I'm not a scientist. I should tell you that. Uh, But I really appreciate scientists. And I really like learning what scientists have discovered. And what they've discovered is that your body is incredibly complicated. Go ahead, look at your body. It's nuts. Be impressed. Why not? I mean, look at yourself. Like, yeah, give yourself a round of applause. God made you beautiful. Some of you are like, what? Why am I doing this? This is so weird. I got a point. God made you incredibly complex. Do you ever think about what it takes to conceptualize sight? Isn't that crazy? Like, your body is receiving images. And you just see stuff. You look at an eyeball and you're like, how does that create image in your mind? Your mind is so complicated. Have you ever just thought about thought? Isn't that crazy? You've got this streamline of consciousness in your brain at all times. Sometimes voluntary, sometimes involuntary. Sometimes you're trying to focus really hard and that one thing won't get off your mind. You're like, why am I thinking about this? It's because your brain is really complicated. Uh, Just recently... Very recently, we think like computers are crazy and they're wild and they're so smart. Just recently, for the very first time, a computer was able to, was able to simulate what your brain goes through in a single second. One second of brain activity took a computer, guess how long to process? 
40 minutes. One second, one second inside of your brain adds up to 40 minutes inside of a supercomputer. There's so much happening inside of us. We're processing so much. And the way that we process determines how we respond. But the interesting thing about that is that sometimes we're controlling the way that we process something, and other times it just happens. I want to talk about the things that just happen. You know about your central nervous system? The central nervous system, again, not a scientist, but I'm learning from scientists. And so I think that this is really fascinating stuff. You have a central nervous system, and your central nervous system has three jobs. One is sensory input. The next is it processes the information that it's just taken in. And then finally, there is a motor output. And again, there are things that you can control. If someone says hi to you, you might think about, how do I want to respond to this person? And then at other times, they say, hey, what's up? And you respond, good. <laughs> Why did I do that? Because your central nervous system was just responding. It just processed it, processed it wrong, and then it had a motor output. But isn't it crazy, right? Like, we think, oh, I'm in control of myself. You're not even in control of your own brain. I mean, there's so much happening in your brain that it takes a computer 40 minutes to process what happens inside of you in a second. It's crazy. Now, why does that remind me of God? God promises, I want to protect you. I want to be there for you. I want to be your refuge and your strength, as it says in the Bible reading tonight. And I think that the central nervous system shows us that God's fingerprints are all over us. We cannot help it. We are God's children and we've inherited things from God, right? And I think that yes, spiritually, but when I think about the things of central nervous system, I'm like, like, whoa, like God's at work inside of me even physically. There's one scientist, one psychologist who put it this way, the central nervous system's purpose is to keep you safe. And there are certain things that you cannot keep yourself safe from. It simply happens, you process it, and you react. If I were to throw a ball at you, I'm not going to do that right now, but if I were to do that, what would you do? Instinctively. <laughs> Some of you more dramatically than others. I'm a dramatic individual. My, it's the way that my brain works, I guess. I can't always control it. The purpose of your central nervous system is to keep you safe. God's fingerprints are all over you. God's fingerprints show up in the way that your body functions. I think that just having a central nervous system shows us how much God loves us. I'm going to be your refuge. I'm going to be your strength. But it's not just going to be some idea that's high and far away in the clouds. It's actually going to be physically happening inside of your body. The thoughts that we can't control. The responses that come out of us because of the way that we process that information. It's involuntary. And yet it happens. It's just like God. In Psalm chapter 23, it tells us this, that uh, even when I walk through the darkest valley, when I'm experiencing the danger, when the information that I'm processing is fear, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. You are close beside me. Again, I want to get to that place, but the truth is, there are many times in my life when I walk through that valley of the shadow of death, as some translations will put it, and I do not feel uh, courage. I feel very afraid, and I forget that God is close to me. And those are the moments when I don't want to go through. And those are the moments when I'm training my central nervous system, whether I want to or not, because it's active, whether I want it to be or not, to respond in ways that aren't ideal. 
Here are the three ways that your central nervous system responds to things, ready? Okay, so the first one is very healthy. On the next slide, the first one is very healthy, and that is, it's engage. You engage with something that you sense. Let's say you are in a crisis-type situation, but you're not afraid yet. You're in a crisis-type situation because you and your friend are having a disagreement, and you feel safe with that friend. In this moment, your central nervous system, the thing that God created to put inside of you to keep you safe, has determined this is safe. I can engage. We can have a conversation. We can make our way through this. It's engaging. It's when we're feeling healthy. The second way is we get into survival mode. This way is not necessarily unhealthy, but it's surviving. It's trying to do everything that we can to stay healthy. And it's when we sense danger. You ever heard of fight or flight? This is what that is. This is fighting or this is flighting. And then there's a third one too that we don't talk about all the time and it's freezing. So our, our central nervous system has processed information to tell us, well, I can't engage and I'm gonna have to survive. So I've got three options. I need to fight this. I need to fly away from this or I need to freeze and just stop. And then when we're not sensing anything at all anymore, we go into shutdown. And we can't feel. And it's because your body's doing everything that it can just to keep you safe. I wonder if sometimes we beat ourselves up. Because why do we respond like that? Your body's just trying to keep you safe. God's put something inside of you to keep you safe. I had an experience where I feel like I experienced uh, all three of these things in, in, in just a short period of time. Raise your hand if you're a runner. Anybody in here a runner? Runners always love to tell people that they're runners. Let's be honest. Like, I ran a half marathon. Cool. You posted about it three times. I've been there, done that. I know. Sorry. Anyway, so I was on a run outside of Ames, and I was on a gravel road. And this was in uh, mid-May. Runners know that there is no worse time to run on a gravel road than in mid-May. Why is that? because of birds. We started with talking about the fear of birds, we're coming back to talking about the fear of birds. These aren't like giant uh, eagles or, 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 or vultures, whatever the, the, that thing was in the clip. These are those little red bird wings. And as I'm running out on this gravel road in mid-May, these red bird wings seem to be agitated. It only happens in May because I think, I, I don't know if it's like mating season or laying egg season or birthing season. I'm not a scientist, I'm also not a vet, I don't know. <laughs> Whatever you call people who study birds. Anyway, so I'm running and I realize these birds seem agitated, they're starting to watch me. And I'm thinking, okay, I don't feel dangerous yet. I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not sensing danger yet, I'm not, I'm not feeling afraid. And, and so I keep on running, and then they start, to, they start to fly around me. And I'm like, okay, Danny, keep calm. They're little tiny creatures. They can't hurt you. And so I'm engaging with them. And do you know what engaging with birds looks like to me? Because I've learned in the past, you don't want to get them super mad. So I decided I want to become one of them. And so as I'm running down a gravel road that was not an empty gravel road, for the record, there were cars, I began to flap my wings. And I'm running down the street, flapping my wings. Mind you, cars watching me. Like, oh, he's a bird boy. <laughs> he's crazy. But the birds realize pretty quickly, 
he's not one of us. <laughs> and now they're not flying next to me, they are swooping at me. And immediately my central nervous system, before I want to, before I want to or not, I am not sensing safety, I am sensing danger. And so at first I try to fight them. I literally put my hands in the, what do you want from me? Screaming at them. Again, cars driving by. Up next, I tried to flight from them. I actually ran into a cornfield for like a quarter of a mile. And I realized, there's more birds out here. And then I just froze. I'm like, if I stay still, they won't notice me anymore. Didn't work. My body was trying to do whatever it could, right? It was trying to do whatever it could to get safe. And then finally, I just took a seat on the side of the road and I sat and I watched all these cars run past me and think he is such a failure. And I felt like a failure. I felt afraid. I couldn't handle the crisis in front of me. I tried to engage with it. I tried to survive through it. And eventually I just checked out. Just kind of a silly example of it. But when we think about what's happening inside of our body when we face crisis, for a minute, we're trying to go along with it. Everything's fine. And then we start to fight it a little bit. And then we try to run away from it. And then we freeze. And then we shut down. And we want out. What do you do then? How do you handle it? Let me give you just one more small example of what this looks like. So when I was working at a Bible camp um, throughout my college summers, Okaboji Lutheran Bible Camp, if anybody knows what that is, give a whoop, come on. Yeah, it's a good place. Um, so it's a family camp. And at family camp, an entire family comes. And as their counselor, you're basically like their older sibling for the week. And you're kind of on babysitting duty. It's super fun. I mean, it's incredible. I highly recommend work at a camp this summer if you've got the opportunity to do it. Do it. It's incredible. So there was one little girl in the family. She's, she's like middle school. So there's a girl in one of the families that I was counseling, if you will, for the week. And she was an elite tennis player. She was the number one ranked tennis player in the state of Nebraska for her age. She was very good. And there happened to be tennis courts close to the camp. And I'm thinking, okay, I could probably teach her a few lessons. You know, I mean, I, I could probably help her out. I'm a counselor for, for goodness sakes, right? Most misleading term ever when you're in college and leading children. So we go out to the tennis courts and uh, I try serving a few and she's very unimpressed. And she goes, okay, it's my turn. She's no older than like 11 or 12 years old. But I'm telling you, she was trying to kill me. Like she is just hurling these balls at me. They're coming like 100 miles per hour at my face. And all I can do is block, right? All I can do is block. I sense the fear. I sense the danger. I go right past fight. I go right past flight. And I just go to freeze. But then I realize something. We've only got so many tennis balls. And so instead of trying to freeze and just avoid the ball, I realize I can make this end really fast if I just make the balls disappear. So anytime that I could get contact with the ball, it came my way. Oh, that's gone. Oh, yikes. Okay, so that, <laughs> you couldn't see that. It hit a window. <laughs> I don't think it's broken. All right. Now I whiffed on a bunch. And eventually she tells me that it's my turn. And I'm very embarrassed to tell you this. My strategy was simple. Serve the ball. See ya. Oh no, Brianna, we can't play tennis anymore. Disengaged, gone, done. 
And listen, I get it. Like sometimes in the moment that feels like the safest thing that we can do, but it really removes us from life, doesn't it? It's very disappointing. The only way that I was going to enjoy playing tennis with 11-year-old Brianna is if I actually went through it with her. If I let her teach me. But instead, I just disengaged. It's not a way to live your life. God invites us to something better. And God does give us a solution for this in Scripture. We're spending a lot of time in the Psalms throughout this, this series. You'll notice that over the next few weeks. Because in the Psalms, we find biblical authors who are expressing fear. They're expressing doubt. They're expressing sorrow. They're expressing suffering. They're expressing how they're feeling in the midst of crisis. There's one biblical translator who put it this way. He said, when I was trying to translate the Psalms, I had to learn how to cuss without cussing because that's how freaked out some of these authors were. It's very honest. It's very real. It says this in Psalm chapter 42. I'm deeply discouraged right now. I have the feeling of fear. I feel fear. And very quickly, God's word gives us a solution, an antidote to that. And it's not fight. It's not flight. It's not freeze. And it's not disengage. It's one word. It's remember. I feel fear. But the way that I'm going to combat this is by remembering who God is. Isn't that interesting? How many times in life when we're facing crisis do we try to fight it by ourselves? How many times when we're fighting crisis do we believe that God's inside the building looking out the window at us and we're trying to make our way through the rain and we're just trying to put on our best show like, I'm singing in the rain, I'm dancing in the rain, I'm fine, it's all good, somebody save me. The Bible says, no, it is not about your action. It's not about what you're able to conceptualize and think of. Instead, it is simply remember God. It almost lets you off the hook. Stop thinking about yourself. Stop thinking about your capabilities. Remember who God is. The Bible gives us this message. The way that we fight the feeling of fear is by remembering who we know God is. Who do you believe God is? Jesus asked that to some of his disciples at one point. It's this powerful passage where they say, so who do people say that I am? They give them all sorts of like really honorable names. And then Jesus looks back at them again. And he says, but who do you say that I am? I feel like in the last year, especially God's been asking me that over and over again. Who do you say that I am? Do you believe in my power or do you not? Do you believe I'm enough or do you not? Do you believe I'm trustworthy or do you not? Who do you say that I am? Now, God doesn't just leave it up to us to try to figure it out on our own. Again, it's not us. We're remembering who we know God to be and God has revealed himself to us. Jesus was very clear. I want you to know who I am. And so he shared this story. It's this beautiful story. and It would remind people it would remind people of a time a long time ago when they heard psalms about walking through the darkest valley and being reminded that God said, my rod and my staff will comfort you. Jesus told to uh, the people who were listening to him one day, um, excuse me, this finishes Psalm chapter 23. There it is, I will not be afraid. You're, go back one, there you go, perfect. I will not be afraid, your rod and your staff, they protect and comfort me. And Jesus plays into that 
memory, right? He says, go ahead, remember it. You are feeling fear, but remember who you know God is. How do you get through crisis? Well, you have a God who is your strength and refuge. His rod and his staff protect and comfort you. It's using imagery. You are a sheep. I am a shepherd. And then Jesus brings up in John chapter 10, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I get compared to a sheep, I don't necessarily feel empowered. I feel a little belittled. When I was a kid, when Halloween came around, I wanted to be a lion or a tiger or a bear. I don't know what you're going to be for Halloween this year. Probably not a lion, a tiger, or a bear. Oh my. Please be something smart. Please be something safe. Please dress warm. It is way better to be warm than hot, if you know what I'm saying. You know what I mean? Yeah? You know what I mean. It's going to be cold. going to be cold. I learned from experience. Anyway. Man, college is crazy, right? I don't, want, I don't want anybody to think I'm a sheep. And Jesus says, you're a sheep. I remember when I was a kid, I was literally a bear for, Christ, for, for Christmas. <laughs> Strange household we grew up in. I was literally a bear for Halloween. I had a say in it. The first Halloween I remember, I was a bear. I, was, I, I wanted to be a bear. My sister was dressed up as a sheep. Like when kids go to face painting at the fair, they say, make me a bear, make me a lion. And then when the little babies who don't have any control over it, they say, why don't you just paint their face in a sheep? It's cute. How does that make you feel about Jesus? He's like, you're my sheep. But keep in mind the relationship between a shepherd and a sheep. Last year uh, for Christmas, we had this like um, drive-through Bethlehem type scene. We followed the journey of Mary and Joseph to um, the manger scene. And along with that, we had a live nativity scene, a live scene of of Jesus' birth, if you will. And so there were actual sheep there. To get the actual sheep there, I had to go out to the farm one day and meet with the shepherds who owned the sheep. And when I went out there, I had this entire new uh, understanding of what it meant to be a shepherd and to have sheep. The sheep were, like, kind of dumb, you know. Like, sometimes they just froze and did nothing. If you, like, tried to get them out of trouble, they'd run back into trouble. But then the shepherd would go and and get the sheep. And we started talking about John chapter 10. When Jesus says, I am the shepherd and you are the sheep. He says, I know my sheep and they know my voice. We know each other. When Jesus looks at you, he doesn't think that you're a pitiful sheep. He thinks that you are the most beautiful, precious thing that he has. The shepherd told me about it. He said, well, when I think about that passage, I think about sheep, my sheep. He said, if I sold one of these sheep here, and I sold it to another farmer, and I didn't know where that sheep ended up, I could be driving on the highway, see the sheep from a quarter mile away, and know that is my sheep, because I paid that much attention to it. And I'm like, okay, yeah, right. Right? Yeah, right. And the other shepherd who's there with him, he says, no, I'm telling you, any shepherd will tell you. I could point out my sheep from a quarter mile away. I know them that well. I love them that much. I care about them. When Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, he's saying, I'm the one who cares for you. 
I'm the one who knows every detail about you so well. I'm the one who spoke life into your existence. That whole central nervous system thing that you have, I know every single, every single fiber of it. And you might believe you're so far away from me, but I know exactly where you are. And I know exactly who you are. He says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own sheep. Oh, it is so good to know that somebody knows you, especially when you're in crisis. What's the biggest crisis you've ever been in? I'd have a hard time narrowing mine down to one. But I do think about a time when I was in college and I went to a doctor's appointment and I got some pretty jarring news from that doctor's appointment. Like, you might be really sick. I'm like, what? It made no sense to me. I went into the doctor's appointment for nothing in particular, just the yearly physical, and I came out of it scared for my life. And I tried all the things, right? I tried to control it tried to pretend like I was fine. I tried to fight it. I tried to flight away from it. And I froze. And I disengaged. I was telling my parents, but I'm like, oh, it's no big deal. It's, it's fine. I'm sure I'm fine. I hang up the phone and just start to weep. I'm scared for my life. I had really good friends in college, and I didn't tell a single one of them For two weeks, I walked around with this thought in my head just burning, eating at me. Your life has changed. You didn't see this coming. And again, I just tried to fight it on my own. Fight it, fly it away, and just freeze. The freeze that led to the shutdown, the disengagement, the hopelessness, the lack of sensing anything anymore happened the morning when I was going to the doctor to find out how bad it was. And, um, and by the way, for the record, I ended up being okay. Like, I, I think that should be stated. I ended up being okay. Um, but I remember walking down the stairwell of our dorm, and, um, and I remember the exact thought. I put my hand on the push bar of the door, and I just stopped. And the exact thought that went through my head was, I'm 19 years old, I'm scared for my life, and I'm all alone. And in that moment, more than any other moment in my life, I felt so unknown because I had kept everything. I was keeping it to myself, trying to handle it on my own. That feeling of fear, I thought I could have it under control. I opened the door because I had to. I was going to be late. I step outside and I see a familiar car and I see a familiar man get out. It's my dad. I lived two and a half hours away from home. This was an 8 a.m. appointment. He goes, hey! Thought you could use some company today. Thought you could use me. My circumstances didn't change yet. I was still scared. My surroundings were the exact same. The appointment that was awaiting me, nothing was different about it, but what changed? It was the one who was with me. 
and it changed everything. When Jesus talks about being a shepherd, he doesn't just say, I'm a shepherd. He doesn't just let us fill in the blanks and say, okay, well, okay, you're my shepherd, so you're kind of my protection, I get it. You know, that day when I was with the shepherds out at their, um, at their farm, I noticed something interesting about the fence that they were keeping them in. One of the fences that they would herd their sheep into didn't have a gate. What's, like, aren't you scared they're going to run away? He said, well, there is a gate. What is it? And the shepherd said, I'm the gate. Jesus said it in John chapter 10. He said, I'm the shepherd and I'm the gate. Any crisis, any conflict, any pain, any danger will have to go through Jesus before it can actually really hurt you. The Bible never promises us, it never once promises us that the danger won't exist. Never once promises us that crises won't appear. Never once says that birds won't fly in your face every now and then, literally or metaphorically. But Jesus does say, they'll have to go through me to get to you. You want to know the way through what you're going through? Don't you ever forget what the danger has to go through to get to you. When I was a kid, I dealed with fear. Real, real fear. Spiritual fear. I, I had real spiritual fear. I, I, I was scared that, like, um, I, was, I was in danger. Um, And then God would always put this, I remember it clear as day, even at like 10 years old, God would put this image in my mind. It was his cross. And I was clutching onto it. And as I would fall asleep at every night and just repeat in my head over and over again, God, you're good, 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 right? You're good, God, you're good. I could see all of the fears in my life coming at me. And then this like invisible sphere would just reject him. And when you're 10, what that does for you, well, let me tell you something, it's about the same thing I'll do for you when you're 29 because I still feel the fear. But I have a God who fights my fear. Here's how you get through crisis. First, remember, the God you know fights the fear you feel. And then engage with God's presence. I mean, I get it. Don't disengage from the problem. Don't disengage from the journey through. But... It's not so much about you facing your problem as much as it is engaging with God's presence as your problems are his purpose. I 
I remember that day when I was walking over to the hospital. I'm like telling people, like, this is my dad. This is my dad. I'm, I'm safe. This is my dad. And it was like I actually had a physical picture of like all these dangers coming my way and just We were going through them. We were running into them. But they'd have to go through my gate to get to me. Jesus is your gate. And for the crises to actually, I mean, actually hurt you in the way that you're scared that they will really hurt you, they'd have to go through him. And he is not going anywhere. Remember, the God you know fights the fear you feel. Engage with him and see him. Win your victories. Fight your problems. And always keeping a close eye on you. You're never that far. He always knows who you are. He always knows where you are. So go through with him. Go through with God. Amen. Let's stand on up and sing a song. Amen.